right, what's up, everybody in the room? Everybody tuning in online, wherever you're joining us from, Portslade Midlands, Tulsa, North Houston, Boise, Cedar Rapids, Greater Lafayette, Indianapolis, all the different Portslade locations. We are wrapping up the book of Ephesians tonight. Let me bring you in a little bit to my world or give us some handholds for where we're going. Around this time last week, I was here at the porch and I could just tell something was not right with me, like physically stomach. You know, those moments where you're like, man, this is something, this is not right. And it's not just something I ate. And later that night, I started just a stomach flu that I had gotten from my son. And so all last week was just this miserable you know, from Wednesday on of stomach sickness. And I knew that the weekend we had a number of big plans going on, stuff each night, and we were supposed to host uh, one of my oldest son's friends. He was gonna come do a sleepover. A couple in our community group was going to get away and we divided and conquered the kids. And so I was worried, man, we're gonna have people over at the house. I'm gonna end up getting them sick. And, you know, thank the Lord, everything passed. It was all fun. The weekend came, we got to host him. It was a great time, had a ton of fun. And everything was going great. And my son and you know, this, his friend were playing. And just like one of those weekends where you're like, hey, you say it, we're going to do it. popsicles in the middle of the night. We're doing popsicles in the middle of the night. Let's make some memories. It was all fun and games until Sunday around lunch. We had all as a family and this kid that was staying with us went to church. And we came home and we began to eat lunch. And I set out lunch for all the kids and I can tell, his name's Cade, something was wrong with Cade. And he's sitting there going like, oh, I'm not hungry, I don't wanna eat. Which as a six-year-old is not that unusual. A lot of times it's just like, I just don't wanna eat that. And it's like, is there something else you wanna eat? Is it something wrong with the food? Do you not like that? And he's like, no, I just don't really wanna eat. And then eventually he says, can I go lay down? And I begin to go, okay, there's clearly something going wrong, but you know, it's been a great weekend, lots of fun. His parents are gonna be here in like an hour and a half, it'll be great. I am putting my baby son or my youngest son down for a nap and I hear this explosion of what sounded like a hose running in our living room all over the couch and I look back and he has gone full send all over the couch cushions and everywhere. I mean, it was just like a hose. And I don't know if you're the type of person, I'm like, like if somebody starts throwing up, I, I may throw up. It's just like, I, I am not okay. But I'm conflicted now because I put my youngest down for a nap and I'm like, oh man, oh boy, poor guy. And oh, let's go outside. Okay, here we go. And I take him outside and I go back into the house and I'm trying to get all the other kids, hey, get away. You get away from everybody, get away. Everybody get away, go eat ice cream, do whatever you want. Just get away from all the vomit. And I begin to go into full cleaning mode where I'm spraying Lysol on everything. I'm taking couch cushions outside and just hosing them down going, we may just need to burn this couch. It may just be done. And I'm spraying everything I can because we've been sick all week and I don't want the kids to get sick again. And I'm just trying to do anything I can to make sure that any of the germs and stuff that he had touched. So I'm in there like literally spraying my kids up and down and spraying everything that they'd been around and touched. And my daughter, she is like in love with hand sanitizer, which she calls Hanitizer. And she's like, hey, you are now full duty. You're gonna go around and you're cleaning everyone's hands every three minutes. So she's just like on it. Everybody's cleaning everything because I know that even though I can't see the germs that are around here, they could be there. And that's just gonna, this invisible world is gonna make some real complications in all of our life. So we are cleaning 
everything. Now, when I say that invisible world, because it's 2022, we all know what I mean. The idea of germs and something can not be visible, but have the ability to really impact what is visible. We understand it as germs. But that idea was something that for most of history, people didn't understand until this guy came along. Now, you probably don't remember him. That's Louis Pasteur for all of the biology majors and people who studied in the room. And he came up with what is called modern germ theory, where he actually had a few kids that passed away from typhoid fever. And so he devoted his life to studying diseases and how they passed. And around the 1880s, he came up with this theory that he had concluded, hey, there's something called germs. There's an invisible world that's impacting the visible world. And it's what's causing so many of the problems and sicknesses that are around us. We hear that and we go, yeah, duh. But when he introduced that idea, it was like saying there's aliens that are invisible around us. People were skeptical of, oh, there's an invisible world that's responsible for why people are getting sick. Is that right? And yet it was entirely true. There was an invisible world that was clearly affecting the visible world. Now, what does all of that have to do with what we're going to talk about tonight? Well, in the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, which I said we've been journeying through the last six or seven weeks, walking through this incredible letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from a prison cell to the church in Ephesus. And in the last chapter of the book, he brings up a very similar idea where he says, there is an invisible spiritual realm that is impacting what is visible in this realm. And it is a spiritual realm that though you can't see is having dramatic implications on your life. It's having implications on everything you've ever known. The home you were raised in, the life that you've had to date has been impacted by this invisible world. And as startling as it was for Luis Pasteur to introduce germ theory and there's these germs, you can't see them, but they're there and they're impacting it. It may seem shocking to some of us that there could be an, a non-visible world, but Paul is saying it, it may not be something you can see with a visible eye, but it is impacting your life and is going to shape and impact your future. But the good news is God has not left us just to wing it with this invisible realm, but has communicated clearly how you and I are to go and battle as believers and live out our faith in light of that visible realm, how it intersects with this world. So we're gonna walk through the last 12 verses of Ephesians chapter six. If you haven't joined us, we've walked through six chapters. The first three chapters are all about the wealth of a believer, the things that if you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead is payment for your sin. You believe that. You were adopted into the family of God. In three chapters worth, Paul goes into all that you have and you're seated in the heavenly places and you have a love of God towards you that's greater than you could ever understand. It's beautiful, beautiful description of the wealth we have in Christ. And then in chapters four and five, he goes into the walk of those in Christ. And tonight, we're gonna look at his final instructions on the warfare of those in Christ. And Paul writes a few years before he would lose his life for promoting Christianity 
from a prison cell. And he writes these final words and instructions and says to this group, I mean, he loved the church in Ephesus. As I said before, Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. You could get on a plane and go visit it today. Incredibly influential city. And Paul loved this church. And he writes out some of the last words he would ever write. And we're gonna look at those instructions on the spiritual invisible world that is impacting the visible one. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. We're going to unpack exhaustively what that is here in a second. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, not against the visible. It is against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That Paul, as he's wrapping up, he says, hey, finally, make sure that you stand firm. You are strong in the Lord. There is a war taking place. There is a spiritual realm and a spiritual war that is taking place all around you. The first idea that Paul introduced us to is that they and we are in the midst of a spiritual war, a spiritual war. Part of understanding the unseen realm is knowing that in that unseen realm, there is a spiritual war that is taking place. And he gives us an indication of how you and I are to succeed in the visible world in light of that. And that we are to find our strength. The first thing that he points out is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In other words, don't find your strength in your gifting, in your job, in your appearance, in the family of origin that you came from. Don't find your strength in what other people think about you, that you and I are to find our strength in walking in dependence in the Lord. The scriptures teach that, ironically, it's in the areas of our life that we feel weakest that God and his strength can be greatest. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul also writes, And he writes that whenever I'm weak, it's an opportunity for God's power to more fully rest and be revealed in my life. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Whatever area of your life where you feel weakest, maybe you struggle with anxiety. Maybe there's some insecurities you have over how the last relationship went or the fact that there hasn't been one. Maybe it's just some issues that, man, if you were honest, that you've carried since high school. Whatever the area is for you, wherever you feel weakest is one of the areas where you can experience the greatest amount of God's strength by surrendering that to him, by bringing that to him. The weakest areas in the room are often the strongest examples or testimonies of God's power on display. And Paul would say, man, whatever your insecurity, weakness that you feel, that is not a problem. That can be a platform to showcase the power of God in our world, his ability to change. And then he introduces us to the unseen realm. And maybe it's your first time in church in a while and you read it and appropriately so you go, there's an unseen spiritual forces of Darkness? That reads like Star Wars or something. What are you saying? 
And Paul is saying there is a war that is taking place and he's gonna unpack more of what's involved in that war. But part of the reason this is so important to understand is in order to bring about the appropriate solution to a problem, you have to understand the problem. In other words, if you were to go to the doctor today and you went and saw him and you weren't feeling good for whatever reason and you went to the doctor, you waited in the waiting room, finally the doctor comes in and you said, yeah, doctor, I don't feel good. And he said, perfect, I got just the thing. He walks into another room, there's medicine everywhere. He's just like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, I'll give him this one. He walks back, gives it and says, you should be good. You'd go, wait, what? I didn't even tell you my symptoms. Because without telling you the symptoms or understanding the problem, you're not gonna be able to effectively identify a solution. And Paul is helping point out that the problem and the issue inside of the world around you is much deeper than you think. There is a spiritual element to the problems that you see in society, to the problems that you face and have faced in your own life. There's a spiritual element to the reason that your parents' marriage didn't last. That there is a spiritual aspect and element to any, name any of the problems in the world and culture and society around. And apart from understanding that, you won't know that the solution is not gonna be more education or the solution will not be more money or the solution will not be X, Y, or Z if it doesn't involve a spiritual aspect or Jesus. Because Paul would say, no, no, no. What's visible is a reflection of a spiritual war that is taking place all around us. So the first idea that we see is, man, there is a spiritual war that is happening and taking place all around us. I think one of the tensions in teaching a message like this is there's probably two errors inside of the room in terms of when it comes to the spiritual realm and angelic forces and um, demonic things and the devil and what role that plays. And on one hand, it would be over here thinking, man, I, I don't even know that I believe that, or I'm not even sure that exists, or that's not even a part of you know, impacting my life in any way. That would be a flawed perspective, non-biblical perspective. The other side of the pendulum would be over here where you have the perspective that everything wrong in your life is because, man, I was running late today and the devil, not today, Satan, and everything in your life is attributable to you know, just something popped out of nowhere and I'm under an attack and then my car broke down. And the reality is your car broke down because your check engine light's been on for like three years and you haven't got an oil change. Or you had problems at work and you're just like, man, the devil's out to get me and problem with my boss. And the reason you have a problem at work is because you keep sleeping through your alarm and showing up an hour and a half early. So there's no, you don't have to point to the devil on that. You can point to waking up. But it is undeniably true that there is a spiritual realm that is influencing and impacting this one. And Paul is introducing that in order to walk through the next thing, which is understanding the enemy that you and I share as believers in Christ that we share. He already referenced him. He said, the schemes of the devil. So there's a spiritual war against the spiritual enemy which is the devil, that there is someone, the Bible says, that formerly, just quick background, as Christians, the Bible teaches that there is an enemy and ruler of this world, 
a source of the evil that we see around us. And he formerly was an angel in heaven, and Jesus describes how he was cast out of heaven for not wanting to worship God, but wanting to be God. And now he has been sentenced to eternal hell. And he wants to take as many people who are made in the image of God with him before that final judgment happens. And that's what he's up to right now. And he is a spiritual enemy that, although if you're a believer in Christ, he can't take away your salvation. He wants to do anything and everything that he can to ruin anything good and of God in your life. That he hates you. He hates the healthy dating relationships in the room. He wants to destroy them. He wants you to marry somebody who treats you poorly. And he wants you to embrace a mentality that thinks, I deserve to be treated poorly. He wants you to not reconcile that relationship and that friendship with that person and maintain the mindset that, you know what? That's on them. That's, I've done enough. It's on them. I'm cutting them out of my life. He wants you to think of work as a place where you find your identity, not provide a paycheck and promote Jesus, but you find your identity and your value and then you become a workaholic. He wants to take something God gave, like the gift of sex intended for marriage, and he wants you to use it on your own personal pleasure and satisfaction through pornography or through sexuality and dating concert. He wants to do anything that he can to take you out. And the intensity that Paul writes with, he says he is scheming. The Greek word he uses, Greek is the language New Testament was written in, it's, it's the word for tricks. That he is attempting to do anything he can to take you out. That he knows you, he knows your struggles, he knows the temptations and weaknesses that you have. He wants you to stay isolated, he wants you to not be connected to other people in church, he wants you to live for the weekend, he wants to do anything that he can to take you out. That he has a plan and desire to interrupt the faith of as many believers as possible. If he was going to take you out, do you know where? Because he is, according to Paul and Peter and other places, seeking to devour and destroy relationships inside of this room. In 1898, the British were attempting to build a railway that would spread across much of the continent of Africa. And it would allow trains to move cargo and move things back and forth with greater ease. And one of the areas they were doing that was in a place called Savo, Kenya. Savo, Kenya. And specifically, when they got to the town of Savo, they're building this railway to be able to transport stuff all across Africa. 1898. When they got to the town, there was a river that they couldn't go around. They had to go through. So they had to build a bridge over the Savo River. And they would build this bridge and railway, and it would allow things to move over. And a plan was put in place for nine months. They're going to build this bridge. Thousands of people were brought in in order to work on it. And as construction began, workers started disappearing. And at first, people thought, and that's just, I guess they didn't want to work, or they ran away, or they abandoned it. And then people who they knew weren't abandoning their work started disappearing. Like, they had, like, family, and they had people that were there, and they're like, Carl hadn't come home, like, he's gone, and we don't know where he is. And he wouldn't have just ran away into the jungle. And one day they stumbled on the head only the head of one of the people 
who was missing. And they described it as though his face looked like it was smiling. And of course, they're all terrified, and this is bizarre. And shortly after that, they discovered it was because a lion had attacked and was licking his dead carcass. And two lions, for the next nine months, would kill 135 men in the middle of the night. They named them darkness and ghost. They would show up. This is, there's not electricity around. There's no, uh, you know high-level machinery, they had very few weapons or guns, and they would drag men out of their tent, and they would kill them. 135. They studied, and they at one point realized that they were showing up, and they had a hospital of just people that had been injured working on the railroad, and the lions targeted the hospital where they was wounded, one point, they moved the hospital. They realized this, and they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a trap for these animals. And so they took the hospital, and they moved it a mile away to the other side of the camp. And inside of the old hospital, they put all types of, of dead animals and dead blood to set a trap, because they would smell the blood, and they would come in there. But the lions didn't go to the old hospital. They found the new one. And they killed more men. It's crazy. I mean, they made a movie about it, Val Kilmer, in like the 90s. What does that have to do with this? The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a roaring lion who is looking and seeking to devour and destroy you and your faith. And he wants you to listen and think, man, it's not that serious. It's not that big of a deal. He couldn't take me out. And not have a guardedness as it relates to the fact that there is a spiritual enemy. As I said, first Peter chapter five, verse eight, your enemy, the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All right. So there's a spiritual war. There's a spiritual enemy. And then Paul brings up, but you and I in Christ have spiritual weapons that you and I are to apply inside of our life. And he begins to talk about the armor of God and he uses metaphor and, uh, images to describe how these different weapons, so to speak, and he's describing Roman armor, which Paul was sitting in a jail cell across from a Roman prisoner, most likely, and he's describing how in Christ we have these certain, it's like they're pieces of armor, and he walks through them, and I'm going to go through them fast, and then try to unpack how they connect and what practically that actually looks like in our life. But he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So third idea from the text is the spiritual weapons we have. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. He brings up the belt. The belt in the Roman armor was the thing that held everything together, held the tunic and the pants, held the breastplate down, the sword went attached to it. He said it's like truth, the truth from God's word. It's like it anchors and connects everything together. The year to be marked and anchored by truth. In the world around us, we live at a time where people say, you know, what is truth? You got your truth, I got my truth, they got their truth. The Bible says, that's not right at all. There is truth, and then there's lies. And the scriptures lead us to God's truth. And Paul says those are to be the thing that constantly anchors your life. So you're marked and armed by the belt 
of truth. Having the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? The breastplate would have covered the middle of the body. It was incredibly important in ancient times because like a bulletproof vest today, it covers and protects the most important organs in the body. That if you get shot in the leg, man, you can, you can keep moving. If you get shot in the heart, that's a different story. And so it was a very big deal to have a solid, protective breastplate. And Paul says, just like a Roman soldier has that protection there, it's like the righteousness of God, not self-righteousness, the righteousness of God, have it placed over your spiritual heart. Practically, that looks like two ways. It looks like proactively, I'm going to pursue now as a believer in Jesus, things that are consistent with the righteousness of God. I'm going to be protective of my heart. I'm going to begin to protect it in line with God's righteousness. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, King Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, above everything else I've ever taught, guard and protect your heart and what you feed it because everything else you do in life flows from your heart. Above everything else, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, lots of Proverbs, everything else. Protect what you are feeding your heart through the Netflix shows you're watching? Are they marked with the righteousness and protection of God's righteousness? Through The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, is it feeding a righteousness? And I'm not saying it's not, and I'm not saying you can. I'm, I'm not saying ask, that's between you and asking the question like, is this producing and protecting a righteousness of what am I feeding? A music you're listening to, scrolling through TikTok. And then the other security that comes is that we have put on the righteousness of God over our spiritual heart, is in God, in Christ, when you trusted in him, you were sealed, you were placed into the righteousness of God, and Jesus' righteousness is righteous and perfect as Jesus is, that was extended to you. And now, our hearts are no longer defined by the actions that we have, the story we have, the past that you have, but by the righteousness of God, that when he looks Jesus, when God looks at you, the righteousness of Jesus is what marks you. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, he made Jesus who had never sinned become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And he says, it's like it's been placed over your heart. You can live in light of that reality that as John would write in first chapter, first John chapter three, verse 20, that even when your hearts condemn you, he is greater than our hearts for those who are in Christ. That the righteousness of God has been placed over you. Then he says, and as your shoes that you'd put on, as it were, shoes that have the readiness given by the gospel of peace to take and spread the message of the gospel to the world. In every circumstance, take up the shield of faith, this thing that will protect you with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, he's using ancient language and descriptions in that time when someone would go to war they would have this big shield and the enemy would shoot arrows and different objects that were lit on fire and the romans would take that giant shield and they placed a huge soaking wet leather on the outside of it so that when an arrow that was on fire hit it it would extinguish 
And Paul says in the same way, when you walk by faith, what is faith? It is trusting in God. It is when God says, this is how you should think about life. This is, how you should, this is who to look for in marriage. This is the type of way to think about money that you say, man, I'm gonna trust that. I'm gonna do that. When I disagree with that, it's not because God's wrong, it's because I'm wrong. And so I need to move towards that direction. When you begin to do that, it's like you put this protection over your life. He says, it's like a shield of faith. And he says, and then take up the helmet of salvation. That your mind would be marked with a death grip on the fact that you have been in Christ adopted as a child of God. You have been sealed for all of eternity. And when doubts begin to creep in your head and when thoughts of like, man, maybe this whole Jesus thing is not even real. Maybe I'm not even, you know, maybe I need to do more in order to have eternal life. That you would know, no, I have been marked and my mind is guarded by the helmet of salvation. And then finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon in the whole list he gives is, and then you take the sword. And what's the sword? It's the sword of the spirit and it's the word of God. It's like you take the scriptures and the way that you fight and the way that you and I live in this life is to live according to what God's word instructs us to live. It's proactively living according to what God's word says. This is how you succeed. This is how victory happens. This is just how we experience life, which means living in community with other people and opening up and confessing sin and being generous and asking for forgiveness and living according to God's word. So he's saying, you're doing that. You're proactive. It's the offensive weapon I have given you to live your faith out. I didn't realize until this past week in researching really for something else, how big the video game industry has become. And um, any, any big video game people in here? Okay, clearly you're all liars. I know that you are. And you just don't want to admit it because you're like, oh no, uh, I'm gonna be single forever. And uh, I'm totally kidding. It is a massive, which is why I know I'm confident there are people all over this room that are a part of video game. Why do I say that? The video game industry in just the United States is bigger than the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, whatever the American Soccer Association is called. And that's not a dig. I, 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 I don't know. And the Hollywood movie industry combined. Let me say that again. If you stack up the total annual revenue of NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, soccer, and the movie industry in the United States, it is by a significant margin. You could combine all of them and double it, and the video game industry is still bigger. Exploded. And you think about why. I mean, millions and millions of Americans are just intrigued and you know, some for good reasons, some I'm uh, sure for not. But one of the appeals of the video game is when I enter into that space, I know what the objective is and I can pursue being successful and victorious. And Paul is saying, hey, the way you can live life and you're gonna know what the objective is and you can pursue being victorious is you're gonna take the word of God and you're gonna read and live according to it, study it, I'm gonna know it, I'm gonna apply it to my life. And some of you guys, man, as lovingly as I can say, you're not doing that. And you come every week and, and you listen to the messages and you say encouraging, kind things, and I love that. But you have gotta spend personal time with the Lord, reading, 
studying. And if you are at a place where you're like, man, I read and I just don't understand. There's so many amazing resources at this church and ways for you to learn your Bible and to grow in understanding of how I can live according to God's word. Because Paul's saying, if you want to experience victory, man, he lays it out in what it looks like to experience that in this life. And the final instruction he says is related to prayer. He says, and you're praying at all times. Man, you want to be victorious or in this life, constantly on guard. There's an enemy. I'm going to live according to the spirit. And I am going to be marked by prayer at all times. It's the Christian perspective, this constant communication with God. The God who is sovereign over everything, created everything, is all powerful over everything. The spiritual enemy that I discussed, when the Bible describes them, it's not some mutual or even close competition as though there's, you know, um, there's the dark side and the light side and, you know, light eventually wins, but it's really close. Now, the scriptures say that God is, even the name mentioned causes the demonic world to shudder. You see Jesus walk on the planet and demons don't show up and come up to him and go like, man, let's go. You ready? They fall at his knees and they say, are you the one? Are you here? Is it the appointed time to destroy me? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And that same God wants to be intimately involved in your life and wants you to have the ability and know that you have been invited in moment by moment daily to invite him in to the feelings you're having the stress and anxiety that you're facing, to whatever you're walking through, that you would be in constant communication, like a walkie-talkie, God, I'm going in this meeting, and you know the temptations I'm gonna have and the frustrations and hurt that I carry from this. Will you help me to be more like you? Will you help me to forgive that person? Will you help me to speak words like you would have me speak? God, you know that I'm going to this business function, and you know there's gonna be people that are dressed in ways that it's just gonna be such a distraction, and I don't wanna do anything that's gonna dishonor you. Will you help me? God, you know what I'm feeling and the cancer, it's come back and I'm so overwhelmed and I don't even know what to do, but I know I can turn to you. Will you help me? Will you give me your peace? This constant communication. I mentioned like a walkie-talkie and uh, I recently, my son had gotten a walkie-talkie like a year ago and which is so fun when you're a kid. I mean, he's, he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. So he and I would talk all throughout the house and he would be like, dad, where are you? And I'm like, same place I was four seconds ago, kitchen with mom, copy. And he would just go through and he would do that. And eventually his younger sister was like, oh, I want to try it. And she's just, she's out of control anyways, but she's like, oh, I'm going to do it. And she doesn't, she'll hide places um, and go like, oh, you have to come find me. But then she'll tell you where she's hiding. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go hide. You got to come find me. I'm going to go hide in the bathroom. And she goes in the bathroom and she gets the walkie talkie and she would talk. And I, I would, I was waiting. I'm like, I'm not hearing anything. And she, I would go in and I went in and checked. Now I'm looking there and she's just talking away. She didn't know she needed to push the button <laughs> that in order for this to work, you just got to push the button. And your heavenly father has invited you to the level of relationship and intimacy with who? Well, you can go to him and constantly communicate, but you got to push the button, so to speak, of prayer and speak. And maybe you're going, I don't know how to pray. Prayer, if you know how to talk to somebody, you know how to pray. And Paul's saying, man, you'd be marked with praying at all times in the spirit. In conclusion, there is a spiritual war. We have spiritual weapons 
and we have a spiritual enemy. But the good news is that we fight in this war, but 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave his life on the cross, the victory was certain and guaranteed. And he put an expiration date on death. And now we live in this world where we're still battling and there's a battle taking place, but there is a war that has already been victoriously won by Jesus. And he has sentenced Satan, evil, all of it to an end. But in the meantime, Paul is saying, hey, you can continue to fight and trust, live according to the word of God. Would you be marked by truth? Have the breastplate of righteousness, no shame, no nothing can take that away from you because it is given to you by God if you're in Christ. You would live a life where your confidence and your mind is shaped and formed by the reality that you are a child of God. And that victory has been won. It's broken and sinful and so many ways messed up our world is. There was a superior work done by Jesus on the cross. Savior. I mentioned the Savo story and what ended up happening is after those 135 deaths, they basically said, hey man, we're gonna hit pause on the railway because nobody wants to work. They're afraid of losing their life. And the foreman, the guy who was over the construction thing, said, you know what? We're not gonna wait anymore for these lines to show up or let this continue to happen. I'm gonna create a trap. I'm gonna set up an environment and I'm gonna bring them in and I'm gonna take them out. And he set up this, basically a trap that was a setup of having these goats that were already died and they left them out and he created basically a blind up in a tree and the first line shows up and he thinks, man, I can see something. I'm gonna go take that and just run out of here like I have every other time. And they show up and he goes after the goat that it was a setup. And that lion thought he was coming to take, but he was defeated by superior power. Second thing happens, does the exact same thing. And that enemy that had terrorized and taken life was put to an end and put to death. And in the same way, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to the planet and the Son of God was murdered brutally on a cross, made out of wood that he created and held together by the word of his power, crucified and had hands nailed into that wood by hands of men that he created and formed and fashioned. And he was raised up and crucified. The enemy thought, man, I'm bringing evil once again into this world. And the worst day in human history where the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God, was crucified on a cross and it looked like death would win, would days later become the greatest day in human history because it was a setup. And the enemy intended it for evil and God took the worst day in human history and turned it for good, showing the victory is certain. He has won. The battle belongs and always has to him. And now as we wait, we make war knowing the victory is certain. If you've never had a moment where you have trusted in Jesus, God's invitation to you is to accept that free gift. Well, he died for you. And that looks like just saying, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. 
I receive you as my savior. Take my life. I trust in you, not in what I do, but what you've done, dying and rising again. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you would give your life so that we could spend eternity with you, so we could have forgiveness. Thank you that there's no force, there's no evil, there's no sin in this room that you are not eternally more powerful than. And so I pray for everyone as they listen and seek to live that out tomorrow, that they would walk through life putting on the armor of God, aware of the enemy around them, confident you have been victorious and we are yours and now we take your word and we can live according to it to help us, God. In Christ's name. Amen.